Welcome to the SOB Podcast. Everything fun about family dysfunction with your hosts, Shannon Livingston and Joe Lobosco. This podcast covers it all from mobsters to motherhood and strip clubs to Sunday school with candid conversations on everything from surviving to thriving. Welcome to another episode of the SOB podcast, the son of a bitch podcast. And I am the bitch, Shannon Livingston. And I'm the son, and my name's Joe, and here we all are. And do you have a last name? Because we do this every single episode. My name's Joe Labosco, and I'm the son. Well, I think it helps you uh, differentiate yourself, not just from the other Joes, but also from your mother. That's a good point. You like that, right? I do like that. Yeah. So, and you love your last name. Yeah. It's got a nice it's ring a cool to name. it. Yeah. They you're, always spell it wrong on my yeah. degrees and stuff. But you're another JLo. That's all right. So today's going to be another uncomfortable day for you. Yeah. Well, what else? <laughs> I know that you love that, but we have been telling this story with a few detours of just uh, some general episodes, but we have been telling the story of the early days uh, of our lives and how I have had to make cash um, and stay off of the financial grid. Couldn't tell the state what I was making because you needed to get medical care and, um, therapy coverage, we were on Medicaid and I couldn't make any money, had to make cash. And so I did that in certain ways. And I've been trying to tell the story of how did I even know that those things were available? How did I fall into it? How did I meet certain people? So last time, uh, the last, not the last episode that we did, but the last episode we did that was of my choice mm -hmm. and all about me, of course, mm -hmm. it was the puppet master episode. And we talked about Walter yep. who was an older, uh, friend of the family, a gentleman term used loosely, sociopath, sociopath, psychopath, <laughs> whatever his diagnosis may have been. Uh, but he really, um, he really reinforced sex and sexuality being uh, commoditized and, um, and was very manipulative and kind of taught me that early on, you know, from 15 to 18, 19 sure. years old. So uh, I had had Kelsey, which um, is my, my daughter who's now 29. She was adopted at birth. That was episode six of the SOB podcast. So you can listen all about that. It was the first open legal open adoption in the state of Missouri. So that's kind of amazing too. But I had had her, I was kind of floundering, wasn't really going to school um, full time and was kind of just hanging out, partying, had my own apartment. Um, we did not get along with my parents. I don't even think I was speaking to them at that time was 20 years old and Walter was helping pay for the apartment. And so I don't think that I was really working or, I mean, I just wasn't doing much of anything. And I had, uh, I got a boob job. You know, I felt like I needed that after giving birth to Kelsey and the changes, um, that it had on my body at the time and only being 20 and very insecure about that. So I got a boob job and then it just kind of, um, 
opened up the world to me, I guess. I felt like a different person. I felt like I had more opportunities and I needed to look elsewhere. So I found myself in Texas, in uh, the Dallas area, and I found a gentleman that was just completely naive and willing to take me under his wing and kind of take responsibility for me. He was the naive one in this circumstance? Yeah. How does that work? This was my first husband. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, we're very young and I was looking to get away from Walter. The Mm -hmm. um, obligations of catering to his emotional needs, there really honestly weren't too many physical needs. He just wasn't that capable of that much, Uh, but very emotionally needy, very controlling, um, certainly would follow me around, you know, had tapped my phone and uh, I just, I needed a way out. Was there a reason you chose to go to Texas specifically or? Yes, actually. Um, Kelsey's mother had talked about the clubs in Texas. Okay. She, had, she had been a dancer. And so she talked about the clubs in Texas and how they were so much nicer and all the money that you could make. And, um, you know, and that appealed to me. I, I didn't want to be in that industry somewhere where I knew anyone. So going somewhere else with my new boob job and this warped sense of power and sexuality, um, that, that was appealing to me. So when I was there visiting to kind of, you know, check out the place, I, I met this guy and, um, was just able to really, uh, fast forward everything so that we did get married and, um, moved in, of course, moved, moved to Texas Mm -hmm. in with him and that did not last long, but because <laughs> why? Uh, because I'll tell you why. Uh, not only was it kind of a scam, but you know, at that point too, the good hustlers believe the scam at least in the beginning. Like yeah. you, you kind of you know, fool yourself into thinking that you do. You're, uh, you know, yeah. if you play that part enough, then you do start to kind of buy into it. So I can't say that there was no. Um, you know, no feelings at all for him or, Mm -hmm. or, you know, anyone else that, that I've been with, but, um, but it was a relief to me to have someone else be responsible for me. So here I had a place to move into and, you know, it was kind of like he couldn't back out, Mm. right? (laughs) We were married, he couldn't back out. Um, but so I found out because I did not know we lived in an apartment and I think I drove a Miata at the time. I found out that his family was very wealthy and that they, um, they had a company that did, uh, irrigation systems for amusement parks and major golf courses. And so a lot of money and his family was not happy. Yeah. I would imagine not (laughs) that he went and I was just so naive, you know, none of it really mattered to me. I was happy just with the car in the house and getting away from Walter. Sure. Uh, but so while I was with, um, this, this guy, husband, number one, we'll call him H one. So while I was with H one, we went to a gentleman's club. It was my first time ever, you know, being 20 in Texas, if you were married and you were with your husband, you could legally drink. I think it was maybe 17 or 18. That does sound like Texas. Yeah. And if you were married and with your husband, you could legally drink. Although I had heard that and there was really no like internet for me to check it out. And I was kind of insecure about it. And so I still had my fake ID. So I, I went to this club and it was, my friend was, was with us and her boyfriend. 
And um, the manager had pulled us out and said, you know, that he wanted to talk to us. And I thought, oh, that's it. Like You're we're busted. Right, right. We're in trouble because we're so young. Yeah. She was younger than I was. Oh, and he was a year younger. And he offered us a job. You know, he said, if you <laughs> if you girls ever wanted to work in here and I said, oh, no, this is my first time in a club. I'm not looking for a job. I'm in here with my husband. Um, you know, and I think we had taken a client in there as well, because in those days, in the early 90s in Texas, like outside of, of Dallas, a gentleman's club had a full kitchen, delicious food, a chef. It was very tasteful. The women were in okay. gowns. There was no touching. So, yeah. What exactly is a gentleman's club? So a gentleman's club there. Are, in my mind, there are three different types of clubs uh -huh. where women dance in some type of naked state there's a gentleman's club which is you know the higher class uh type of club there's a strip club which is just your run-of-the-mill what you would expect and then you have like your down and dirty titty bars which is kind of like hand jobs in the Side corner of the road. anything yeah the, that's where the truckers are going to stop by um drove past several of those on my last road trip yeah uh so so I was lucky, I guess, in that sense, that my first exposure to this lifestyle, to this industry at all, was one of the better clubs mm. and run really well as well. So, you know, we said thank you, but no thank you. I introduced myself under the fake ID name because, of course, when the guy says, what's your name? I'm not going to say Shannon. And um, we'll edit that out. And uh, so he asked me my name. And I used the name that was on the fake ID, as did my friend that was was with me. And we took his card. And I think a week later, maybe maybe two weeks, but I really think it was closer to a week later, I went back to the apartment um, and my husband had left. Like he, you know, his parents said, this is not... <laughs> You need this to is, get out yeah, of this. This is not okay. You're coming home. We're going to sort this out. And I think I was I was out with the neighbor. I came home. There was a lock on the door of the apartment, and I couldn't get in. Mm. All my stuff was inside. I didn't have anything. I didn't have a job. I didn't have a cell phone. Didn't have a car. <clears throat> oh no, there were no, yeah, no those cell didn't phones. exist yet. Didn't do that. I mean, they had like the big brick <laughs> cell phones, um, but. Yeah. So I, I had nothing and mm -hmm. I was not on the lease. So what had happened was, you know, the, uh, H one, the first husband had told the, the leasing office that he was moving out and Just shut the whole thing down. I don't think he paid the rent either. <laughs> <laughs> so they put a lock on the door, took everything that was inside. So I lost my, you know, high school yearbooks that hadn't been gone in the house fires. So you never saw any of that stuff again. No. God, no, um, did not see any of that stuff. So, um, so I was in a predicament. I stayed with the neighbor that I had been out with. She said, you know, you can like stay on my couch, but you got to work. Like I'm not supporting you. Mm -hmm. you know, she didn't have any money either. Yeah. And so I said, no problem. I had the guy's cards. The, the, the manager <laughs> actually just got offered a job and I called him <clears throat> and I said, I, I don't want to dance. I'm not comfortable with that. But can I waitress? I, I really need a job. Can I waitress? And he said, sure, come on in and fill out your paperwork. So I did. I went in, filled out my paperwork in the fake name mm -hmm. uh, with the fake, you know, social security number and everything else. 
And he said, okay, you have to get this uniform. And it was a, you know, like a lace bustier with stockings and four inch heels. We had to cocktail waitress in four inch heels. So when I see people now that are complaining when they're wearing their little tennis shoes on their mm -hmm. short shift, I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to hear it. Uh, but you know, I didn't have any money for that either. So the manager had to take me to the mall, get all this stuff, buy me the outfit and very lucky that he was not predatory. He, he really was sure. more helpful than he needed to be. Had to buy me shoes. You know, the only shoes I had were the I think Birkenstocks that I, <laughs> I was wearing. I didn't mm. have any clothes. Like, yeah. I didn't have, I had what was on me and that was it. And so, and then my first day of work, um, I didn't want to ask my manager for a ride to work because he had already helped me, you know, get this, the costume, the uniform. And so I didn't know what else to do. So I called a cab and halfway to the club to work. I said, you know, I, I have to tell you, I don't have any money. This is my first day working and I can't pay you for this ride until after my shift. But it's, cash right mm -hmm. I'm waitressing and so I was very upset I'm sure I cried and you know I felt terrible about bamboozling the guy but he was nice and he said don't worry about it and I'll be here you know after your shift he took me to breakfast I think it was the country kitchen that was open 24 hours took me to breakfast after uh and gave me a ride to work for I think a week without taking any money and even though I tried to pay him, he, he just wouldn't take it. And um, so I had people along the way that really kind of stepped really in and, story. and helped me when they, they didn't have to. So I started working. I was a terrible waitress. I, I didn't really drink. I didn't know what alcohol was. <laughs> I wasn't 21. So somebody would say, I'll have a Stolio and cranberry. Uh, stole what? Like I, <laughs> how do you spell that? Had no clue. And you know, my ID said that I was 22 or whatever. And, and of course it said, Oh yeah, you know, I know a bar and it's great and I'm not an idiot and I'll just be the best employee. And I was terrible. So, um, they used to pull the, the sales every hour mm -hmm. and they would come and get me and they would say, what are you doing? Like what or truly what are you doing with your time here because we're looking at these sales and i think we had like the second highest liquor sales uh in the state of texas at, at one point i mean so you had a, to hit your number this was a place that was pushing mm. liquor and you know on a, a friday or or saturday night when we had bachelor parties in there and there were eight side stages it was oh so it's a big club it was a big big <sighs> it was a big nice club full kitchen the whole thing um, but I was not good at it, but they liked me and they said, listen, you're a terrible waitress and you're actually kind of like probably costing us money because you know, you're <laughs> screwing up people's orders and you're like, you're, you know, so we're going to put you on the door. You know, you, you, you can be a hostess. And I was like, all right. Not so, a bad idea. you know, the whole time that I am waiting tables and working the front door, all I'm watching is these other bitches counting their money. Does mm -hmm. hundreds, thousands of dollars making bank a day, a day, a yeah. shift. And, you know, it becomes normalized to you just looking at boobs in your face all day. And, um, and so I got to the point and I had been offered a lot of money to, you know, have that first dance. We were, um, by one of the professional sports, uh, arenas and, and so we would get a lot of professional sports players mm -hmm. in there. And one of them offered me, you know, 500 
for a dance when I was a, a waitress. So I learned that they'll pay more if they think they can't get it, right? It's that whole scarcity and demand. Um, I also learned from that club really early on that it, it wasn't the prettiest girls making the most money. It was the smartest girls uh-huh. and it wasn't the girls that had the nicest bodies. It wasn't the girls that danced the best. Some of those girls never even went up on stage because they paid to be taken out of rotation. So the way that it works when you're an entertainer in a club, because they wouldn't let us call ourselves dancers. We were entertainers at this club. You paid to work there. So I think at that point it was a $20 a day. Like an internship. You do. You paid every day to work there. Okay. And, um, and then whatever cash you made, you know, that was your money, but you had to tip out people that had helped you. So if the host or hostess had turned you on to that business guy that had the corporate card and, and, you know, needed a couple dances and they took you over to the VIP room, slide them a little, you tipped them out, you tipped out your DJ, you tipped out the barbacks. You tipped out. I mean, you just, you tipped it's a lot people of people out. to keep track of. So you're constantly <clears throat> greasing palms. It's like politics. Money coming in, money going out. Right. And you, yeah, you got to make that money. Right. Everybody's expecting that money. Yeah. And uh, you're not getting paid, right? You're paying to work there. And then when you would get up on stage, you would have two songs. So the first song, you would wear your gown and then you would, um, you know, probably take that down to lingerie. There was no swimsuits allowed. No. I mean, this was this was a very classy okay. operation. Uh, and so then the second one, um, you took your top off. And but, Motley Crue comes on and the whole But there was thing. still um <clears throat> there was still bottoms. You know, some places are are totally nude, but we had bottoms and there was a 12 inch rule where you had to be 12 inches away. So they couldn't touch you. If you were doing a dance, they couldn't put their hands on you. Probably a good call. Even if, and we had issues with this because if the girls went to jail, when vice came in, management went to jail. So you learned really fast what the other girls were doing also. Oh, so they would get in trouble. Oh, everybody would. Absolutely. Everybody would get in trouble. But so if you were taking money, just physically taking money from somebody paying you for a dance Uh and their hand touched your hand while you were in a state of undress, while you were still topless. That's illegal. That's illegal. So you really had to watch your stuff. Also, I think it was three seconds that you were allowed to be on the floor doing what's called floor work. So, you know, you couldn't roll around and do all this stuff on the ground. Did the Texas law was you could only be down there for so long and then you had to pop back up. And there were just these crazy rules that, that you had to know. Um, there was no, you know, no simulating sexual acts, nothing Mm -hmm. like that. Um, it was a very, really clean club and, and that is what made them more money. And if you had somebody that came in that was trying to maybe pull their bottoms out so that a guy could get, you know, a a peek at what was under it, the other girls were going to beat the shit out of that girl because they weren't going to do that. Mm-hmm. And if one girl, right. did you don't it, want to set that precedent. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. You know, especially not for the 20 bucks or, you know, right. whatever that cheap bitch was, was making. Sure. And so you just kind of saw all these little lessons in business and life that were taking place in, in this strip club. So would you get audited by compliance people or something? People from the state? How does that, who, who checks that? Vice. Vice? So cops would, 
would come in, undercover cops would come into the clubs all the time okay. and make sure because they were looking for drugs, prostitution, sure. uh, sex trafficking, you know, I mean, all all kinds of things. And if you were running a good club, you, you didn't have a problem. Right. You shouldn't have anything to worry about. We were selling up enough liquor and uh, had girls that really knew, you know, how how to hustle. And when I say hustle, I mean, um, you know, going back to the rotation, you would get up on the, the stage for two songs. And if you did not want to get up on stage, if I'm sitting with with a client uh-huh. and or going customer well. or whatever, and it's going well and it's my turn to get up on stage. Um, I don't want to get up on stage. I'm not going to let him go. Or if I'm giving them private dances or whatever, you have to pay the DJ $20 to be taken out of rotation. So you would, of course, then look at your customer and go, oh, we're having such a good time. And I'm going to have to get up on stage unless I pay to be taken out of rotation. Show and then them. you look at them and they uh-huh. go, oh, OK, how much is that? And so so the the good girls, the hustlers, the ones that were really making bank, maybe you didn't see them up on stage. And the only reason you ever got up on stage was to then be visible to everyone else. It's not for the few measly dollars that you're going to collect. So right. I, I always laugh when so I see about, these movies right. where the girls are making all their money on stage. You don't make shit on stage. So it's all about finding, getting someone's attention, connecting them to them. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and getting those dances. And even more than that, it wasn't about dancing. When I was first training as a waitress, um, I remember first I was asked if I was there to cocktail or tail cock. And that always goes through my head now. Anytime I'm at a strip club. Yeah. You're a cocktail or tail cock, honey. So, okay, this is going to be a different place. Um, But, you know, I asked the girl, like, how much money the girls were making. And she said, oh, honey, like, this isn't even a job for a lot of them. It's just a funnel. Like, this is a way for them to meet somebody that is going to buy them a tanning salon or travel agency or whatever was popular ah. at the time. So they were there. It was a hunting ground. It was a place find for the them big fish to find and, their, yeah. their guy okay. that was going to be, you know, the guy that was going to pay the bills and buy the business and whatever so that they could get through school. These girls actually were paying tuition. I know that's a, a <laughs> terrible old joke, but a lot of these girls were. Sure. But it was a gentleman's club. It was not a strip club or a titty bar, which I also did run years later. So I was working the door. I watched all these other women making money. And at one point I said, all right, uh, you know, I, I'm going to try dancing. I think I could do it. So during all of this time, also, I formed a friendship, of course, with the general manager. I got a thing for authority. And so, oh, you have authority over me and the whole club. Let's be friends. Um, and I would, uh, spend a lot of time at his house. He had a nice house and a lot of the girls would spend time there. It was just kind of a hangout spot. Kind of a corporate house. And he would have corporate girls. The, the club was connected to other clubs around the country. So occasionally we would have corporate girls or featured entertainers that were staying there. And so it wasn't a weird thing okay. that I was at his house a lot. But so I would hang out with him a lot and I would grow, go recruiting with him also. So we would go to different strip clubs around the Dallas area and find other girls that we would want to come in to our club. How do you avoid those other clubs having a problem with that? 
Well, you don't. You don't get busted. Okay. <laughs> That's why so I was going to say, if I'm running this other club and I see these people keep coming in here and then my girls are disappearing. But that's why you needed the girl. Uh-huh. So that you weren't just, you know, the manager of the club or whatever. Right. You have girls talking to other girls about how great it is and how great the money is. I and, see. You know, so it's not really poaching um, so much. But yeah, we we were invited to leave, I think, <laughs> at least once. <laughs> It's just part of Makes it. Makes sense, yeah. So I spent a lot of time with him. I learned his job. Uh, he was a Vietnam vet. He had some PTSD. And whenever he would drink Goldschlager, which was the thing <laughs> of the day, I don't know why, he would get a little nutty. And so I would have to help him with paperwork, with inventory, with, you know, whatever Staying it was. Staying organized. Just doing his job because... Yeah. With a club, you're doing that stuff every day. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, you're in retail, yeah. and you run the registers. So there are things you do every single day that you have to stay on top of. You can't let your work pile up. Yeah, like, count you know, the money, pay the bills, yeah. blah, blah, blah. So he wasn't able to do that all the time. So I did it for him. And then I started dancing for a little bit. Um, wasn't great at the dancing kind of like if you could imagine me doing Zumba now, I'm not super coordinated, but I was really good at the psychological part. I, I understood the assignment. I had watched long enough to know how the other girls operated. And I also knew who was going to be my friend and who was going to feed me people. Um, as long as I was paying them, mm -hmm. you know, nobody, nobody was there because they liked someone else. That's not why we helped each other. Sure. And you did have the girls that would try to steal your shoes or, you know, whatever it was. But if you spread enough money around, things went smoothly for you and mm -hmm. you were able to make more money. Pay in to pay out. Yeah. So I'm having, you know, a, a decent time at this club. I'm getting my life kind of together, I guess, if you can call it that. And, um, the owner of the club, pulled me aside and said, we know that you've been doing your boss's work. And I said, Oh no, no, no. Like sometimes I write it down for him or, you know, if I'm around or whatever, but, and I tried to cover for him and they said like, no, they were like the reports are right. <laughs> and he's usually not. He doesn't do that. Yes. So I did too good of a job. And they said, you know, we, we love this guy, but it's apparent that he's got some issues and we're going to get him some help. But we would like for you, since you're already trained and, and have kind of proven yourself to step into a management position. So I said, <laughs> okay, you know, I'm 20. I'm not even, I'm on a fake ID. I'm yeah. working there under a fake name. So they took me off of a position because even when I was a hostess at the front, I was able to make tips. And it, it was something as simple as the girl that I worked with, Cassandra, she would say, oh, here's your change. You say, and you know, $4 and a dollar for me and $5 for me. She would just say it like that. Mm -hmm. Most of the time they go, okay. Or if they would say, well, why should I tip you? And she'd be like, because I'm so cute. <laughs> and then they would just go, all right. That's business. So you could make tips just standing at the door. Man. And you were also in a bustier. It was the same outfit as the, the sure. waitresses, only it was black instead of white. Um, so I had been making, you know, a decent money or whatever, but so they bumped me up to management. I'm working on a fake, fake name. And now I'm less able to make tips because now I'm not dancing right now. I'm not on stage and, uh, and I, I have responsibilities. So 
I worked it out. You know, I became one of those people that fed the people to the dancers and made enough in tips mm-hmm. um, where I was I was able to make money, but could never cash a check. The better I did, the more I got penalized financially because I, I couldn't get a paycheck. And that didn't last very long either. Those uh, were the days of GHB. And so when I got bumped up, I was the only woman. I was really young. And the guys there didn't like that. I would imagine not. Yeah. Just aside from the regular bullshit, you also had guys that I think probably were asking for blowjobs or, you know, whatever. And um, the fact that the girls weren't going to have to do that with me, they didn't like that. It, it took their power away. But really what I found out was some of these guys were taking some of the girls because they all dated too. Um, they were taking them and, and drugging them when they took them out with GHB and recording them doing certain sexual things and blackmailing them and uh, sometimes just leading them into pornography. What is GHB? Um, it's a, uh, used to be like a date rape drug, like a, a roofie type okay. of, so uh, I don't know what, I don't remember what <laughs> GHB stands for. That's nice. Right now, but it was something that everybody was putting into drinks or you could do it as a recreational drug. Right. And uh, so so I found out what was going on because they did it to my roommate and um, she did not believe me. She was crazy about this guy and he had blamed it on someone else and she didn't remember what had happened. And I was like, you better make sure there's not a tape. You know, I hear they're taping people. So the whole thing blows up. The They ended up framing me. Uh, they took like her money and stashed it in my closet. Because, you know, if I'm going to steal from my roommate, I'm going to stash it in my closet. Yeah, it makes perfect uh, sense. And then, you know, made a big deal of, oh, well, you should like check her room and make sure you check her closet. And so, of course, they find the money. It's a big mess. And I didn't want to cause a big stink because I'm working on a fake ID. I'm not even the person that they think I am. Right. And it was tough to hustle the money together. Uh, and so, um, and at this time, well, shortly after, I got pregnant with you. And so I, I moved to Chicago with you in my belly. Uh, but it was, it was a very strange time working in the strip clubs and, and learning in the gentlemen's club and learning everything that I did in those early days from those girls and even lessons in sales that I use now. I learned from those girls. These were the old days of the business cards and you had just sheets of business cards and uh-huh. these girls would sit there on the phone on a Tuesday morning, Tuesday afternoon. Oh, hi, Bob. You know, it's Lacey. And I'm just wondering if I'm going to see you today. I was thinking about you and just really missing you. And I'm going to be here. And I just doing those calls every day, all day long and bringing their people in. So those girls worked a lot harder than just being up on stage. You going to say anything to that? You're just going to nod silently on a podcast. Like I haven't been contributing this entire time. Okay. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about right now. And yeah, how I'm hard just they work. Taking it all in. Do you know I, any strippers? I well, uh Other not than your mother? that I know of. There was a lady who came into my place of business one time and had this big stack of dollar bills and dropped them down to pay for her stuff and she was like, uh, I promise I'm not a stripper. And I said, I don't really care <laughs> whether or not you're a stripper. My job is not to judge you. It's to take your money. 
I said most of my babysitters when I was growing up were strippers. We'll get into that mm-hmm. in a little bit. I was said, you know, how you make your money is your business. Well, and so how they did make their money, I learned, uh, was a little bit different than just inside the club, too. So the girls in Texas at the really nice club, they were looking for the guy that was going to sometimes marry them or, um, you know, give them that uh, movie deal or uh-huh. you know, buy them the, the business or whatever. And a lot of girls found it. I mean, they, they did really well. But then after I moved to Chicago, and had you, we moved to Kansas City. And after being in Kansas City for a little bit, I got back into the the strip clubs because by this time we did have this financial constraint where I had to make cash. I knew the right. guys that ran the clubs there and it was in my skill set. And so they were kind of lower class clubs. And I said, hey, if these girls cleaned it up a little bit, they would be making a lot more money, you know, but you've got to have the DJ do this and, you know, structure it like this. Then the girls have to have these rules. So they would send me in sometimes to, to clean up the place, sometimes, you know, to, to teach the girls how uh-huh. to hustle. Basically. Um, one time I was sent in to a club in Kansas city to um, inflate the numbers. Uh, he thought that I was going to inflate the numbers on what the club was worth to get a mutual friend to then buy the club okay club was losing money left and right and the guy had owed the original owner who you know he and i went into business Mm. later on actually owned a a percentage of that club um at one point but you know the mistake that that guy made was he thought i was the dummy and i was going to go in there and believe everything he said help him unload this yeah help him unload it onto this (laughs) other guy Never even offered to cut me in. Didn't really pay me for being out there. He yeah, just said, business. make whatever money you can. You know, so, of course, I did not lie about the numbers. I'm not going to burn bridges when there's no reason to. Right. Um, so I, I have worked in gentlemen's clubs and I have, have worked in titty bars. Never as a dancer again, only in, in Texas. But I have managed clubs or been the house mom of clubs or whatever. Because you can make cash so, and, and it was something that I knew how to do. What does that look like day to day when you're, you know, cause everybody at least has their own idea of what it's like for the dancers, but what does the average strip club manager do, you know, for 12 hours or however long you're there? So it really is like a daycare <laughs> and you are watching the girls. You're making sure that everybody's safe mm-hmm. and following the rules So if you have girls that want to go out to their car, they don't go out to their car alone. They Mm. don't bring a bag in from their car uh, because then you got drugs. Yep. You know, you um, have to watch the girls that like to sit in the dark corner and make sure that they're not giving hand jobs. Uh, You have to watch the girls and how they get along with each other, how they you know, we can't have anybody stealing. We, um, and there, there weren't cameras or, or anything else. Well, and there was again, a big difference be- between these clubs. Yeah. So uh, what's the disciplinary structure in a place like that? Are we talking zero money. tolerance or you get no, one warning? Money, or? money, 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 money. Oh, okay. So you, you tax them. them. Yes. You taxed <clears> them. And, um, you know, they learned really fast if it was, if it was their money. So you taxed them, you gave them time off, you gave them Tuesdays instead of Fridays until mm. they learned their lesson. We, there was a club um, that our friend Gus owned. 
And it was such a shit show, such a terrible club that we did have one girl that just was not cooperating. Um, she didn't work for me. She, she worked for a friend and he sent her to that club to work for two weeks as punishment as punishment Uh and to learn appreciation for his clientele versus the clientele that Gus had. And so she, of course, after weeks that I'm so sorry, can I come back? And he said, no, you got two weeks, two weeks down there and do a good job. No calling in, you know, no bullshit. And so, yeah, there were creative ways to discipline those girls as well. I mean, I'm sure that there were other things that, that went on, but I was never, um, I was never going to do anything to exploit or abuse those women. I really no, was trying had to, to make help your them. point. Yeah. Right. And, <clears throat> and to help them make money meant, you know, you guys got to clean it up a little bit. I remember going into a, a club in Kansas one time and I said, you know, no more like lesbian shows on stage, no more of this, no more of that. And they got so mad. Like they hated me. They said, well, how are we supposed to make money? And I said, I'm going to teach you. Don't don't worry about it. But transitioning those girls from survival to really banking, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and getting them to realize enterprise, the less you do, the more money you make. If you keep shoving it in their face, <laughs> you're not going to make any it's money. Too easy. Yeah. And there, there's the difference between the clubs, but there is also a difference in in those approaches. Uh, so strip clubs, like I said, have really taught me a lot of a lot of business, a lot of conflict resolution when you're the woman and you're in, in management. So, you know, you're going to watch your staff and make sure everything's good. You're also going to watch those patrons. Mm -hmm. And for me, the last thing I wanted to do was involve my bouncers because at this one particular club, you know, I didn't do the hiring. So I got some young yahoos that want to fight all the time. Uh I don't want that in my bar. (laughs) That's going to cost me money. I don't need diversions. I don't want the girls feeling unsafe, none of it. And so I would go over and I would say, hi, you know, I'm so-and-so if I was using my real name or fake name. And, um, and I'd say, you know, this is a a gentleman's club and you are just not being a gentleman tonight. (laughs) And I'm so sorry, but I'm going to have to ask you to leave. I would like for you to come back and try again. And when you do, I would just be honored to get your first drink and come in and ask for me. And, uh, you know, but tonight it's just not happening. It's not working out for us. And most of the time they would respect that. They would kind of suck it up and, but I'm not taking conflict to them. I'm not challenging their, you know, manlyhood. You're saying here's the problem. Here's the solution. Right. And it's not that you're not welcome. I'm not saying that, you know, you're a bad person. I'm saying this behavior that has happened so far, I cannot allow because that is my job here. So let's work this out nicely. And, you know, and then if they got an attitude, fine, then the other guys could come beat the shit out of them. But I, I always tried to, to do it nice and mellow and that's, that's peaceful. fair, peaceful. And, you know, sometimes too, you just, you want to get guys that are big enough, uh, to just pick them up and carry them out. That, that was really how I trained them. You know, you don't need to punch them all the time, right? Just restrict their hands. You get the hands, you get the feet. And you carry them out like a two by four right out the door. And then they're humiliated and they're going to leave anyway. No, that's not no. what happens. <laughs> no, they stay in the parking lot and they're like Start those little, they're like those little inflatable dolls where you punch it and they pop right back up because they're drunk and they can really, like, yeah, they can take true. a beating. 
And so the more you humiliate them, the more, the longer they're going to stick around and the more you got to beat their ass. So it just, it starts the whole thing. So you try to keep it nice from the very beginning. Uh, you know, I also learned, um, you don't drink when you're at work. So mm. we would have a, a special container that was marked, you know, bada bing juice or whatever it was. And when guys would offer to buy me a drink, which was often, I would say, sure. Instead of, oh, no, I'm working. Sure, I would love that. And so I would order my special shot, which was fruit juice. Kool-Aid. And I would do the shot. <laughs> and the bartender and I would split the money. And, you know, you do that 10 times a night. And it's an extra 50 bucks or whatever. And you're being social with them. And, of course, you're still staying, you know. Lucid. Clear-headed. Yes, you don't ever. It's not a party for you. It's a party for everyone else. Mm -hmm. So you, you can't drink and, and do that job, whether it's management, dancing, whatever. But what I also did learn in the the lower, I don't even want to say lower class clubs, but there's a difference between clubs in Kansas City and the clubs uh, in Dallas, let's say, in the early 90s. There, there just was. Though in the strip clubs, not the gentlemen's clubs so much, these girls were also looking for guys to meet outside of the club. And that didn't necessarily mean, you know, for, for sex, I'm sure that that did happen, of course. Um, but it was really, uh, they did bachelor parties. They did topless blackjack dealing. They did. I mean, there was just this whole expand your portfolio. Yeah, there was this whole world outside <laughs> yeah. of the clubs, you know, with the people that they would meet, um, you know, that would, would come in that I didn't really know about back in Dallas because in Dallas, it was a different that class. Didn't exist. And they were looking for a business. So it kind of interesting too, to see, you know, when you're looking for a business, you might find a business when you're looking to give somebody a hand job, you're probably going to find somebody, you know, to give a hand job. It, it depends on what your expectations are. Uh, but so I, I started learning what these girls were doing. And they were doing a terrible job. They, they were disorganized. They didn't have security. They weren't marketing properly. They were leaving money on the table left and right. And um, so I stepped in and I, I helped them organize a little bit. And that is going to be our next episode, which is the private side of, of the sex industry. So hopefully you understand a little bit more kind of how strip clubs work learned a and, lot you know and that is considered the sex industry you don't have to have sex for it to be called the sex industry sex is implied sex is implied mm. most definitely interesting and just like in life the the less you give the more you get when it comes to sex and men unfortunately that's that's the rule as soon as you let them touch the goods the gifts stop and we'll leave it at that <laughs> I think the next episode will make you even more uncomfortable. So I'm looking forward to that. But uh, I, I've had a lot of, I, I can't lie, I've had a lot of fun in clubs. I, let a, I met a lot of crazy women, but I also met a lot of really amazing women and mothers and people taking care of their families and um, just, you know, women that were just trying to make it just, um, and maybe just didn't give a shit what other people thought. Some of them were very, very fractured, very broken people. Uh, yeah, certainly. I would imagine. Uh, but, but some of them were just super cool. And so 
I'm very fortunate, I feel, for having that experience. It's different than when, what most people have. And I do learn those life lessons, those lessons from the club. It, maybe that will be my book or a seminar series. I can start writing out the Hilton lessons from the club, how to do business like a, a stripper. Would you take that? No. You've been on the pole before, though. <laughs> that doesn't count. You can tell that story another time. Yeah, okay. All right. All right. So thank you so much for listening, Joe. I'll let you take it out since I always do the intro. Yeah, I'm not really sure how to sign off from this one, but... Uh, well, how would you leave a club? <laughs> uh, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. There you go. It's a good song. You know, that's actually about uh, childbirth. A lot of people don't know that, but that was what that whole thing was about, his wife was about to have a baby and he was it was all about entering that next phase of life and i did some research about that closing time semi-sonic good song i had no idea um yeah so hope you learned something i certainly did uh if you ever find yourself in a strip club or a gentleman's club or a titty bar maybe you can uh impart some of those lessons on the people there <laughs> be sure nice to love your that. girls Tip them. Tip them well. Take there care of go. them. They're working hard. Peace out. Please make sure to download and listen to SOB on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Don't forget to like and share on social media. This has been a Studio 239 production.